poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Philosophical Friday on Chasing Poker Greatness with your hosts, Brad Wilson and Duncan Palamortis. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, Coach Brad Wilson, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com. Today's Friday, so I'm joined by my Friday co-host, one Duncan Palamortis. Duncan, how are we doing, sir? Hello, hello, hello. Doing very well. How about yourself, Brad? I'm doing quite well. Today's yeah, pretty chill, pretty relaxed. I don't got anything going on afterwards. So yeah, um, strap in and apologies in advance to my podcast editor who who may have a long one today. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> we can go for three hours. Yeah, we're, we're strapping in, getting strapping ready to go. It's going to be like a 22 minute one. Um, yeah. <laughs> never know how things never are going to turn out. Uh, the Today's topic is going to be all about heuristics, and I'll let you set up, um, I guess, for the listener, what we mean by heuristics, and then kind of what we're about to to dive into. Right. So, uh, typically, people when they're thinking of heuristics, uh, or sometimes, what is a no- heuristic? Right. For somebody that may not know, exactly. Uh, what is a, a heuristic? Or sometimes I call it noise reduction. So it's essentially a a way to take a complicated, typically a complicated topic and uh, abstractify it to its bare minimum. So to the things that are the key components of that topic so that you can save some energy, right? Uh, So that would be the equivalent of, you know, any any time somebody is driving, for example, there is a lot of different things that they need to technically be aware of. But... If we were constantly at 100% awareness every time we were driving, it would be impossible to do it. So we usually narrow our focus on a few important things. Like, for example, we're ready to um, to hit the brakes at all times. That's a number one priority, right? I mean, so that's uh, one one heuristic, like ready to uh, to um, to stop whenever whenever you need to. And uh, the the question which we're interested uh, in today is: Are there such uh, ways to simplify complicated concepts in poker uh, without sacrificing the the benefits of, of that idea, because there is such thing as oversimplification. So is there a proper amount of simplification without going overboard, essentially? Right. And I don't know that a heuristic has to be an oversimplification. No, um, it, it, should, it should not be, is, right, is what I'm saying. Right. Yes. So, and, and by oversimplification for, for the podcast listener as well, basically an oversimplification is when you reduce something to the point where there's distortion, right? Like, correct. Um, exactly. You know, for instance, in, in poker, it's uh, never be check calling, right? This is one, <laughs> this is one that, that's on, on right. the mind, right? Or right. Um, always take an aggressive action. Um, I think... These two are kind of heuristics that poker players internalize, and there are a lot of places to apply aggression, but not every situation uh, requires it, right? So, Correct. 
yeah, I think th- those are the sort of like oversimplifications that that you want to avoid. Any anytime where you make this rule, and then you can at top of mind find ways to break that rule or situations where it, it doesn't, uh, you know, it, it's it doesn't make sense. Um, those are oversimplifications. Co- correct. And let me add add to that because I think this is a perfect example, right? The idea of people taking this. Uh, to, to the next level, the idea of aggression. And I, I think I mentioned that before, right? You know, when I'm telling all, all the, my students all about the benefits of aggression, t- temporarily, I sort of create monsters, right? I mean, they go there and they never call anything. They always raise, re-raise their bed and stuff like that. Now, um, let's talk a little bit about uh, what would be a heuristic for aggression and what would be an oversimplification. A heuristic for aggression would be uh, in general, let's say that um, we want to take an aggressive action over a passive action. That would be, in general, we want to be the preflop raiser before the flop. In general, we want to be in position. In general, we want to have card advantage. This is what I call the trifecta. So that would be a heuristic. In general, we want to have those three things. An oversimplification would be that unless we have those three things, we don't play the hand, right? That would be an oversimplification, right? right. But a heuristic would be, okay, the three things, position, initiative, and, and card advantage, are always in the back of our head. So when we finally deviate from those three things, we need a good reason for it, right? So we're going to have to spend extra energy. That's the power of the heuristic. So we're sticking to those, like, let's say, initial, initiative, position, and card advantage. But of course, there might be situations where we don't want to three-bet somebody before the flop, and we still have position, so we're not going to have the initiative uh, on the flop, but we still want to play the hand. So that's a situation we're saying we're deviating from the heuristic, but there is a good reason for it. Yeah, and I actually want to address the deviating word too, because this is something that we've been upgrading in the Wolf program internally, where now the, the language that we use for situations like like you just described is adjustment, mm-hmm. um, because we're not going away from uh, strategy. We're layering mm-hmm extra data points on top of the existing strategy. So it, it's more of an adjustment than a deviation in my mind. And that's sort of like how I'm training the wolves to think about those spots where it's like, okay, generally this is what we do. However, we have these three data points that also inform us that maybe we should prioritize those and, and take uh, a different action um, than we have set by default. But again, it's sort of like, you, you already have that heuristic in place and you've conserved some energy, which is another thing that I wanted to talk about uh, as well. Well, you can use that extra energy because of the heuristic that you've saved to then layer on top other strategies. Um, Very good. Yeah. Very good. And to add to your point, uh, if you think about it, this is a little bit semantical, but this is Philosophical Friday. We love, yeah, yeah. The sem- we love our semantics, yeah, right? There's, if there's not a place for semantics, where, where is there, right? This is it. That's right. An adjustment is a form of deviation. So what you're actually doing there, you're being more specific, right? And that I love that stuff, right? So we're doing calibration on that word. And actually, people feel bad about deviating. They feel like they're doing something wrong or contrary. An adjustment, they feel better, right? Right, because again, deviation can be anything, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it can be in the wrong direction or in the right direction. So adjustment sounds more sure. like, you know, you narrow it down to the specific type of deviation that's relevant. It's the good one. So that's why yeah. I'm making that distinction Thank because you. I think yeah. it's helpful. No, it's, um, it's helpful. So, but yeah, um, why don't we, we, we talk a little bit about, uh, about that? What are, like, for example, why don't we start with, uh, um, what are some... Uh, Poker heuristics that can actually, or noise reductions that can actually save us some energy at the poker table. 
Um, so some heuristics that can save us energy at the poker table. I think it's tough, Duncan, because this is Philosophical Friday. There's lots of semantics, and there's sure. also lots of room for adjustments in poker. Sure. Why don't you get the ball rolling? Sure. And maybe my brain will jumpstart here. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And again, when we're saying uh, here's one, one important disclaimer, right? When I say something here, it doesn't mean all the time, but it's usually like a good rule of thumb. Yeah, For example. You generally raise first in, right? This is like pre-flop. Exactly. You you raise first thing, right? I mean, the, 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 the trifecta that I was talking about, like right? initiative, position, uh, card advantage. Another heuristic that can be very helpful, and a lot of people are going to, uh, you know, go back on this. If there is another good player at the table, like usually I'm saying that Alex is the best player at the table, but maybe there is a second best uh, player at the table, which is similar uh, of similar skill. A good heuristic would be try to avoid that player. Now, of course, there's exceptions to that. Again, when we say try to avoid, it doesn't mean we don't play against that player. But I mean, if, they, if the situation is closed, we don't need to spend that energy when there's like lower hanging fruit at the table. That'll be another helpful heuristic. And again, right. we can, well, please push back on that because no, no, I know there's I mean, a lot of... <laughs> a lot it, of it's sort of like, I mean, ca cash games to me are, you know, Live cash games are, are a different environment than specifically like online cash. I think mm -hmm. li live cash games. So a thing that can happen in online where, you know, there are specific positions where it's like three better fold, right? You're not mm -hmm. supposed to flat like the cutoff right. facing a UTG open. However, right. there are instances where there are weak players in the blinds where UTG mm -hmm. opens, where flatting the cutoff makes more sense than three betting and, and targeting a strong player who has a tight range, right? For, you know, that's sort of like one heuristic and then an adjustment that can be made. Um, and it's not that you're avoiding playing against the under the gun player. It's more so that you're inviting uh, weaker players into the party right. and not right. isolating yourself against said strong player. Um, now, if it's like with, without anything that makes me make an adjustment so like if it's blind versus blind or like late position battles or whatever it is like i, I mean personally well i'm gonna battle with him um mm -hmm. but if there's room to invite somebody else into the party that i think will result in a higher ev situation that's downstream then i'm gonna take that action but but i yeah i i do disagree with like but i i do disagree with like outright avoiding situations where i can manage to uh, find plus EV spots, um, or that I think is a plus EV spot that I can quantify. Okay, so so here is uh, very, very good, and I agree with you 100%. By the way, uh, it's the reason why this turned into a heuristic for me is that I'm incredibly competitive, right? You know, like I'm sitting at the table, it means that I think I'm the best player, otherwise I wouldn't be sitting there. And I will play anybody at any point. But here is, here is what I realized, one of the things that I realized personally, this mm -hmm. is sort of like a sharing, is that why in, in there are plus plus EV spots, but why you know using uh, energy which we have a limited amount of you know like mm -hmm. sitting there at the poker table for ten hours to get a marginally plus EV spot in a, in a certain situation when we can use some of that energy to get to the low hanging fruit. Now, if you know the table is more on the um, uh, a lower end in terms of opportunities, then I would agree with you 100%. Then we have to take every every plus EV we can. But the question is, is it meta plus EV to take every plus EV opportunity at the table? Or it would become a little bit less plus EV even 
to just, you know, try to squeeze every little bit of value against the better players instead of just saving our energy for the lower hanging fruit? That's the question that I'm asking. Yeah, so it's like you're walking through this environment with that's low visibility and you see like right. a grape and you're like, right. hmm, I could eat this grape, but maybe there's like a watermelon if I keep walking a little bit further, right? Um, but and, you also have some evidence that it might be a watermelon, right? Because you're probably like, in, let's say in a garden, right? Where you're expecting, <laughs> right? So sure. this, this is relevant, right? Because if we don't have the evidence, that's different. You know, if we're like in a random room where we you know, just see a grape. But we can't go the, back either. Yeah, okay, sure. Once we walk past this sure. grape, there's no sure. turning back the no, other not way. Not turning back. To, not turning to back. go get that grape. Right. Um, to me, that boils down to and and i agree with you about having finite energy and finite willpower i think this is like pretty pretty easy thing to agree with um where i would the the part that i would contest is that live live poker is such a less mental mentally strenuous activity compared to like online poker that i don't know that having 10 of those situations is going to like make it to where I can't play for like 10 hours or miss out on opportunity downstream. I, I guess that, that would be the, the area that like I'm, I feel is questionable is like, well, there may be watermelons, but like I'm kind of a glutton here and I want the grape and I want the watermelon should the watermelon come my way. Um, and banking on the, banking on my belief that I can recover in the interim and not just uh, totally shut down after like 10 to 12 hours of, uh, of live poker. Because like you don't VPIP a lot. You don't play a lot of hands. Right. You sit there for the most part. Um, so that would be the, the part of that that I would contest. Right. And, I, you know, actually, essentially that what you're saying is that doesn't invalidate the point. You're essentially saying I... Um, I have I have enough energy. My my arm is strong enough to take the grape and the watermelon later. Yeah, yeah. That's perfectly fine. As right, long right, right. as you have like you know, as long as you don't feel like you're depleting, uh, you're depleting your energy in any way, yeah. shape, or form. That's that's that, that that's perfectly fine. And I and I I, I, I agree with that. You know, like if if there's no, it also depends on on the skill differential at the table, right? I mean, you know, it's. The, um, but we're talking about usually well, yeah, as making some clear assumptions that. We have like effectively unlimited bankroll um, that we don't have to leave the game if we get busted. You know, I think that's something that those are areas where you, you can and should pass up plus EV opportunities or marginally plus EV opportunities. There was a, a tactical Tuesday a while back um, with with a player who basically went out of their way to bat to three bet out of position versus, you know, the second strongest player at the table when they had limited funds. And like, if they go broke, they can't rebuy and stay in the game. And the game was full of like a bunch of weak players. Right. I think that's mm -hmm. like a clear spot where, you know, we're playing the infinite game here and rule number one is to stay in the game. So if that's a downside risk that you can't stay in the game, if you do go broke, then yeah, I, I think, that situation, you should certainly pass up uh, um, a plus EV spot that's kind of marginal in in search of the higher EV watermelons. Right, that's that's a good point, and actually that reminds me also of another heuristic, uh, which is sort of relevant. Uh, the uh, the infinite bankroll is very relevant, but at the same time, 
it might be helpful to have a sort of like a stop loss for the day, right? I mean, the sort of like the Phil Ivey quote, I don't care how good you are. If you're losing, you're not playing as good as usual. Of course, again, that doesn't invalidate the, pro the, the point. If somebody's playing really well when they're losing, that's perfectly fine. That person doesn't need that heuristic in place, obviously. But like another heuristic would be, you know, uh, which again, they can... Uh, yeah, they can it goes it. both ways, right? I think um, some people who are masochistic or I don't exactly, <laughs> you know, know how to how to describe them. Myself is is one of them. Like when I lose two or three buy-ins and get punched in the face, there's some sort of internal system that turns on that makes me focus more and mm -hmm. just play everything with a higher intensity level. And I right. just have my my energy is seemingly like endless for right. whatever reason. I don't know why it takes me getting punched in the face a couple times to wake up. But it does, and I know other players who, yeah, they they get punched in the face a couple times and they're kind of done, right? But but I also think that it's kind of, it's very difficult to self-assess when you have a stop loss mm -hmm. in the moment when you need to self-assess and be honest with yourself because like there's always, you're never in the right mindset to actually leave when you, you reach your stop loss because oh, you know, I drove 45 minutes to get here. Traffic's bad right now. The game is really good. There's always a reason to keep playing another orbit. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think stop losses are like good in theory and practice. I'm not exactly sure. And also it depends on the person. But yeah. I do have a heuristic for that, by the way, because incidentally, what you're describing, it sounds a lot like me. Like, I mean, I'm incredibly competitive, you know? So like there's this inner drive. However, the difference that I would say um, it, it sounds like you like uh, that that part of yourself, you know, like the extra focus and the. I extra, love it. I, I, yeah, I, pri I, I, I pride I, I, myself I, in it. Good, good, like, and that, that that's excellent. I mean, I, yeah. this is this is good. Personally, I you know I like to be more on the uh, sort of like uh, on like getting to that state on demand versus sort of like being forced by external forces, and that's just a different approach, which means mm -hmm. like. Uh, for for me, for example, like I, I like to have the um, uh, how do I what is my heuristic since we're talking about heuristic for for mm -hmm. these stop losses? Always bring cash at the casino. No credit cards, no debit cards, nothing else. So once you're done with the cash that you have available, you can't borrow, you can't do nothing. You just you just leave. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I personally don't like that one. But okay, it makes like sense. That, that one goes because like to me, I can again get pummeled. And and be in a good game and be like, okay, well, I've lost more than I thought I would. However, mentally, I'm feeling good. The game is good, and leaving the game is just a missed opportunity to me. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yes. And again, the uh, you you bring two important points. Number one, different heuristics work for different people. Right. I mean, this is a very very important one. Right. Right. And 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 the other point is once again. Uh, it all comes down to, am I willing to spend the energy to uh, make the decision? You know, like, because the person, for example, like part of the reason why I'm, I'm using that heuristic for myself is because I don't want to make that decision. I don't want to spend the energy to decide, oh, am, should I continue playing while I'm losing? Should I, like, am I in the right mental state of mind? Some people, yeah. they're okay making that decision. So it really comes down to, you know, your willpower and, you know, how much you've, uh, well, to me, it's already pre-made, right? Because I've, I have my heuristic in place of like, if the game is good and I'm feeling good mentally, then I continue.
right? So, but you you have to decide if you think the game is good, though. Yeah, uh, that's which, not which which is I mean, it's not it's not always. I'm going to push back on this because it's not like we have to make a decision. Do we think the game is good? And that can actually be a complicated answer sometimes, right? I mean, we can see a spot, but maybe there's yeah. like a an it's aggressive live, it's live poker, Duncan. It's like, live. The game the game's always good. What it like? I love it. I love it. I love I mean, it. Yeah. The, the downside to the game always being good is that, of course, you you can quit and come back and the game is good. But I, I think that like, these are things that you can measure whether as an experienced poker player, I, I don't, to me, it doesn't take a ton of mental energy to really quantify like, Oh, I'm, I'm on the direct left of a whale who's built up five buy-ins, right? It's, right. It doesn't take me very much thinking to realize this game is good and this is a good opportunity, you know? Right, right. And, and again, you're describing, to, to be fair, you're describing an extreme scenario, which yeah. is an easy answer, sure. right? I mean, what I'm saying is that what if the situation is more complicated? You know, like there's like uh, two loose uh, passive players at the other side of the table and there's like a very aggressive player to your immediate left, so you're targeting those guys. You know, I mean, what I'm saying is that there can be situations which are more gray than than black and white. Yeah, Um I guess I guess it always boils down. It's very uh, <laughs> it's very black and white for me. Of like, when I play poker, um, I have an edge for mm-hmm. the most part, right? And or, or you wouldn't be there. I agree with that hundred percent. Right. Like, or I believe that I have believe that I have an right. edge, right? And, right? and if the game is like somewhat normal, there's nothing outrageously different about it compared to like every day to day situation. And I get buried four hours in, but I was planning on playing 10. Um, Leaving the game is detrimental to my bottom line at the end of the year. If I feel as if I'm still, I still have an edge in the game, right? So I don't give myself the really option to just leave because if I leave 10 times over the course of a year, then I've just cut out 60 hours um, that I could have played and that my belief is that I'm plus EV um and lose that that income over the course of the year so that that's sort of like yeah i mean honestly the game being bad to me in a live setting is more of an extreme scenario because it's just rarely the case like at, at like up to 510 at least it's just rarely like oh this game's really bad. I'm just going to quit, right? Like, the, Oh, no, I don't think I've ever been in a bad game, to be honest with you. So it's not so much like, you know, the uh, really like a game where I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God, this, this game is terrible. I've been to games which are like, okay, but I've never yeah. like been in a situation where I think like the game is, is, is bad. Right, so, so if yeah. the game is never bad, then it's not, it doesn't take much energy to well, keep again, going. Well, again, that's, uh, I, I, the reason I, w- I, would, I, would, I would push back on that is because then you have to make a decision, you know, am I, uh, first of all, like, is the image, am I, uh, am I equally as plus EV? Am I playing well? That's another question, which is important. You know, yeah. am I, okay, yes. Which, if, 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 if you never, like, if you never, like, you know, deviate from your typical, and I, when I'm talking about, like, deviate, I don't mean monkey tilt necessarily, but, like, you know, sometimes, you know, you can be on your, or your B minus game, you know, and that B minus game can be, you know, borderline, or it can be, depend depends on the situation. Again, like, in, in an okay game, your B minus game could be, uh, you know, like borderline, and then is it worth it to be there? So that's a decision that could be, you know. Worth yeah, it. which is like kind of baked into my process, right? Of like, am I playing well? Like, do right. I do I believe I can continue? Do I have enough energy to continue? Do I think I'm playing well? If so, 
then keep playing. And so, so the takeaway, Brad is robot confirmed. He never deviates from absolute best game. So, <laughs> no, no, I, I love I, it. I love it. No, I love it. No, no, no. no I, I will lose like energy. Some people are more, more <laughs> consistent than others. So I love it. Yeah. Why not? You know, some people are, you know, they, they more consistent. My wife is like that. She's very consistent. The most consistent human being I've ever seen in my life. You know, some people are like that. It's quite obvious to me when I'm not consistent mm-hmm. because I can feel it. Okay. I, I know when something bugs me that otherwise wouldn't bug me, right? I have all these uh, indicators in my awareness of like, hmm, I'm frustrated that I haven't gotten to 3-bet in the last 45 minutes. I'm frustrated that I haven't gotten to VPIP in the last 25 minutes. That guy, two seats away, said something that that annoyed me that under normal circumstances wouldn't have annoyed me. All of these things, these inputs... To me, our data, and and another heuristic, by the way, right? Yeah. If you know you're frustrated, that's that's beautiful because you mentioned that, right? So that's another heuristic, very good. And and what do you do in in situations like that? I generally quit. Okay. Unless uh, that's your uh, trigger. Yeah. yeah, that's a trigger. I generally quit because that's what allows me to have awareness that like I'm not in the right state to to be here, and my decision making is most likely compromised. I, I'm certainly not afraid to say that when my willpower drops, because I think it's a more a symptom of lack of willpower at that point, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the day, yeah, you know, some donuts look pretty freaking good. <laughs> Absolutely. They, they, they look nice. Nothing wrong with donuts, man. It's, it's right. Good. So, so like, this is an indicator too, that once my willpower is depleted, right. And I will eat these donuts late at night, but I don't wake up in the morning eating them because I still right. have enough willpower to say no that when my willpower is depleted, my cognitive ability, my decision-making is also compromised. And when that happens, playing poker is not the place that I, I need to be. Um, so that to me, that's my trigger. It's not you know, losing X amount of money. It's like, I just don't have it right now and I need to go recover. That's great. That's great. And that, that, that is another, another excellent, another excellent heuristic. And then, uh, um, uh, one other heuristic I I just I just thought while you were uh, you were talking is the idea um, you were talking about uh, specifically about frustration and you're talking about the idea of uh, of willpower. What are some things I was thinking that 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 draining our willpower, right? And that could be it could be fatigue, it could be hunger, right? Um, it could be sex drive. That all of that stuff can actually be. Um, uh, so usually generally people, not sex drive when I'm when I'm playing poker. <laughs> okay, so 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 okay. One one of the heuristics I'm using is you know don't don't play hungry, tired, or horny, right, or, or drunk, right. I mean that's that's that the, the, the important things because again, that what can... poker games are you playing in, Duncan? I don't know. <laughs> We're not playing in the same poker games. I don't think. If you if your testosterone levels are too high, like you know you may be overly aggressive, right? Yeah. So that's. <laughs> Oh, now, now I see why you like the aggression so much. It's all, yeah. it's all making sense to me now. It makes. Sense. <laughs> <laughs> then, then we have our favorite, uh, uh, or our favorite, like you know, this is one of the people that uh, we we both admire, as far as I can tell, Tommy Angelo, 
uh, who uh, one of the of his uh, heuristics, right, which I think they're, they're pretty interesting. He, he calls them the the automatic folders, right? The, 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 you know, not the envelopes, the, the, the hands that you should fold automatically, right? And he says, like, you know, if I'm under the gun and I don't see an ace, you know, like that hand is automatically a fold or something like that. And, mm -hmm. and uh, I, I think that's that, that's actually pretty brilliant, you know, like the idea of having uh, sort of automatic decisions. Now, of course, of course, there are exceptions. And if we don't, again, if we don't understand uh, those exceptions, I mean, this wouldn't be heuristics unless we understood the, the exceptions. It's just that those exceptions usually happen infrequently, right? But well, go ahead. I think, I mean, the, the personal downside to, to Tommy Tommy's specific heuristic there is um, that would just be like, uh, that would take the f more fun out of the game for me. Mm -hmm. I like playing hands. I like being sure. involved. I like being put into challenging situations that I've got to think my way out of, right? Like I agree. Uh, those, those are the things that like make poker so fun to me that like, I can't imagine uh, eliminating, you know, the muck and, and the mud and, and the confusing sit spots and the challenges like that. Um, but again, that's my personal preference. No, this is beautiful because essentially, like uh, w w what you're saying is that, you know, heuristics are one thing, but I mean, what, what separates a, a good player from a great player is that a great player, uh, uh, you know, again, adjusts. I'm not going to use the word deviates, right? So you want to keep that adjustment live. And I, I agree 100%. I mean, you want to have, you want to be able to, to adjust, but the heuristics are not there in, in place of the adjustments, are just there as a core approach. Yeah. So that you, again, to eliminate noise and to uh, save energy. And That's for the that. most part, like Tommy's heuristic can is probably quite beneficial, right? To mm -hmm. to the general poker population, and then there are different uh, subsets of that general population that that I think it's it's less beneficial to or less appealing to, I guess I should say. Sure. And, and to himself, right? I mean, you know, that's probably why he has those heuristics, right? Because they work for him first. Right? Yeah. Usually when somebody talks about heuristics is what works for them versus is going to work to the other, other people. Right. Uh, and and uh, it could be, for example, in his case, and, and I'm speculating, uh, but, uh, but I can imagine that somebody may want to, you know, um, maintain a sort of like, it's easier to maintain a Zen sort of like approach by you know making quick easy decisions yeah so it again, is for it's, sure right yeah, like it's, yeah so it's it's right. a fun opening uh whatever you know king 10 suited from under the gun and getting three bet from an aggressive player who's in the cutoff right that that's not not a fun spot to be in not not fun times that, that that's for sure and, and and i think you alluded to earlier about you know some of but let's because i i i, I like <laughs> how clearly you see the disadvantages of the heuristics. So let's 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 speak uh, about those disadvantages a little bit more clearly. What are some of the disadvantages uh, of, of heuristics? And first of all, are are the heuristics even necessary? Um, well, we'll start with the disadvantages. I mean, they can mm -hmm. stifle growth. Mm -hmm. I think that's a clear disadvantage. You know, if you don't open a hand that doesn't have an ace in it, then well. There are plus EV options that are available in that situation. And, but by not putting yourself in that spot, you're less comfortable navigating it. You don't gain reps. I think that there's a lot of like, there's actually a lot of uh, negative 
EV things you could do in the moment that are positive EV over the long run. You sort of alluded to it a couple of Philosophical Fridays ago with um, that calibration period of going back and forth until you find kind of the, the optimal spot to be in. If you don't put yourself in those spots ever, you never get to calibrate, you never learn and you never grow. I think that's a downside. Uh, so it limits growth. Um, I think another, I mean, another possible downside, you could limit opportunity in the case that we were talking about earlier, where you lose X amount of money and you don't get to keep playing. I think that could limit opportunity. Um, and also it just the, the major downside is in oversimplifying. It's in accepting heuristics that are just wrong and bad and negative EV and cost you money, time, energy, whatever it is, um, that you never, uh, you never, you set it and forget it. You never go back and ask, is this, is this beneficial? Is this true? Is this right? Um, and also, uh, setting heuristics without understanding the, the big picture, which is how those inaccurate heuristics get set in the first place. So someone who creates heuristics that is on the the side of the Dunning-Kruger spectrum where they're just learning something, I think is very detrimental to, to humans. Very good. And, and I would add to that, uh, another possible downside is, as, as it relates exactly to what you just said, you cannot necessarily get the heuristics from somebody else. You have to create them yourself. That's the very relevant yeah. point I think yeah. that you're making over there, right? And that's, that's the difference, right? Because if you're taking the heuristics from somebody else, then you haven't had the nuance that uh, was uh, included in those heuristics before they became heuristics, right? I mean, that's, that's the important part, right? I mean, you haven't seen the people trying all those sorts of different things in so many different ways. And then eventually they said, you know what? That's basically the meat and potatoes of what I've been doing uh, for, for so long. You know, I've been trying to, to raise, I've been trying to call, and it looks like, you know, by raising before the flaw by not limping, most of the time it's better than limping. So I'm just gonna have a heuristic of raising instead of limping. But it doesn't take into account all of these exceptions that the person who you know tried both of different approaches still understands and will still deviate or adjust in certain situations to actually incorporate them. So it's important to yeah, go ahead. No, no, go. You can finish. No, I was I was I was about to say that it is it is it is important to for someone to uh, create sort of like the their own heuristics. That is not to say that we cannot um, um, be inspired by somebody else's heuristics and then try them out. But it's important to integrate them into our own personal uh, gameplay right we need the we need the bottom we need to understand that the part of the iceberg that's underneath the surface uh, exactly. before before we we apply the heuristics i think too um human beings for better or worse are kind of hardwired to make these little rules that help us that save cognitive energy and help us navigate and in poker it's very difficult to broadly say, oh, this is what, what you do in this situation forever until the end of time, right? It's like, you know, it's a classic uh, cliche of ask a poker coach, give, give them a hand and you ask, like, well, what should I do? And then the answer is like, it, it depends, depends, right? right? It, yeah. it depends because it's not so cut and dry as to seeing what someone does and being like, oh, so you just check raise eights on a 10, seven deuce flop, right? Like, oh, that, that's how you play eights. You just check raise it, right? <laughs> well, no, I mean, 
we don't know the situation. There, there's a lot of data points that like you're not understanding, you're not evaluating it. And especially in like plain explained videos or, you know, like uh, Berkey was on last week, like poker out loud, there is some dilution that happens when you verbalize what you're thinking before you take an action. Um, and you're not able to state every single thing that you are considering that goes into that decision. And in that dilution, the people who consume said material can come to incorrect conclusions and think that they are correct. So any heuristic, I think in poker, it's very serious business um, because making a heuristic that is incorrect is so detrimental and also detrimental just because eventually if you take the game seriously, you have to unlearn that heuristic and that is not a fun thing to do, right? It's not fun to unlearn something that you're very confident that is true and beneficial. Um, and this just happens quite often in, you know, private coaching. It happens quite often, um, even in my CFP, the wolves program where someone believes something are presented with evidence that's contrary to their belief. And now we have a situation. What do I trust? Who do I trust myself who made this thing? Or do I trust this outside information that seems to be challenging what, what I myself believe? And then, you know, that, that's a spot that's like, it's a really hard situation. I can speak from the coaching side to get somebody to release said heuristic. Very good. And, and it also ties to the idea of, uh, of, uh, habitual thinking, right? Because once something becomes a habit, it is difficult also to change from that habit too. So it's not only part of the of the belief, which is one thing, it's also a part of habit. So we have a specific physical response to it, which is difficult to, to get out of. It's like quitting smoking, right? I mean, uh, and, it, and it's funny how I'm using these examples of things that I've never done before in my life. But I know, I know, you know, like 70% of of Greeks, when I was in Greece, like that was 15 years ago, at least 70% of them were smoking or, or some ridiculous amount, you know, and I know it's very difficult to quit smoking. So anyway, so it gets, it, it gets, it gets really difficult. Yeah. Um, so, but well, again, like going to the nature of us, like we, we believe these things, like, you know, a bird in a, a bird in the hand is better than two in the bush or whatever that's mm -hmm. that silly expression is right like right. this is not true <laughs> it's it's not true that like something today is better than something uh two weeks from now or, yeah, it or it's always better right it depends right. on based on certain variables of the situation right. and i think that just like as the human race we accept these things as like truth and then never go back and analyze it and ask well wait a minute here like surely we can do better, right? We can we can think about this with a little bit more depth and come to some better conclusions. Absolutely, and I think that's that that's very very relevant and important. Um, and once again, we see the the idea of, of of relativity, right? I mean, it really depends on the situation. It depends on the person. It depends on the on on the circumstances. So now that you've you know very well illustrated the downside. Uh, of relying too much on, on heuristics or making them the end-all, be-all. Uh, are they necessary? And yes. are they useful? They are you useful. Think they're I, I okay. think so. I think they're yes. necessary, and I think they are useful when done correctly. Mm -hmm. um, but they must be trained and done correctly, quantified correctly, and also created with the information that 
these are not locked in place. This can be flexible over time. If we learn something different, then we should upgrade this heuristic, right? We shouldn't just, you know, stick to our guns, right? Which is like kind of, that's another thing that I, heuristic that to me is kind of not so helpful, sticking it's, it's to terrible, your yeah. guns. Like, oh, I, yeah, I think, it, I think it's, it's really bad. You or know, having um, the power of your own conviction. I never understood that phrase. You know, it's like, it's anybody who has the power of their own conviction. I mean, it's sort of like feel sorry for them, not, not, not proud of them, you know, like, what does it mean to you? Like that means that you, you're not gonna you're not gonna be flexible to your environment. That's dangerous. You know, like yeah. you're not gonna be. You're not adjust. gonna change. You're gonna right. get new information and right. not change your opinion based on new data and new information. That, to me, seems counterproductive. Um, but we live in a society that really does not like it when people change their opinions. That will call people hypocrites, and that will call people. You know, in the I guess I'll date myself, but. Um, John Kerry versus George W. Bush election, it was, you know, John Kerry is a flip-flopper, right? Well, (laughs) well, like, it seems psychotic to have a belief that gets challenged, get presented with new information that's contrary to your belief and be like, no, 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 I'm good. I still, I still, I, I still believe that. Right. No. Like, how does that make any sense? It's not, no, it doesn't. Yeah. Right. Like that's not, that's not like who we ought to strive to be as, as society. So yeah. Anyway. Um, but I do think they, they, that heuristics are useful. I think they're beneficial. They save brain power. They save willpower. They save energy. If they're done correctly, they can be insanely powerful because it gives you the space to use that energy that you save in the poker setting is, is what I'm referring to right now for other decisions which is insanely valuable. Absolutely. And, and, and if I may, uh, if I may uh, the, there is an, an important point uh, that uh, I would like us to you know, dive into a little bit. And that's the point of, um, we talked about this in, uh, in the very, very, very first uh, podcast when I was, I was your guest, uh, sort of like the, the idea of, of meta-humility. And uh, how does this tie to, uh, to all of the, the, the topic that we're discussing. Because on the one hand, right, it is, uh, would both agree, detrimental to have like a, um, a set in stone opinion on anything when it comes to poker. But on the other hand, we do not want to be the guy who every response we have to deal with is it depends. Like we don't, and what I mean by that, we do not have to be like, we do not have to be indecisive. It depends. It's okay to say it depends and then decide. But what if we're like, oh, it depends. It could be this way or the other way or the other way. And then we are stuck in an infinite loop of yeah, indecision, it, right? It, it's chitty from the good place, right? Correct. Exactly. Exactly. No, no, no. Exactly. That, that's yeah. perfect. That's that's perfect. So, like, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about that. Like, you know, how do we how do we rectify the two? And and and, and I'll let you start, and I'll share share my thoughts as well. Um, I think that eventually <laughs> you have to make a decision. So sure. basically like that's that's one part of it is like if you don't know the answer or if it's unclear, then you have some investigation to do, I think that will cause you to grow as a human being or as a poker player. So if you really don't know and you're really on the fence and it depends, it says that either A, the spot is too close. And then if that's the case, then it doesn't matter what you do. Like either both options are just a toss up or if the spot is not ultra close one way or the other, which is a hard thing for one human being to see if they lack information or lack knowledge, 
right? This, this would be a, a classic blind spot situation for a student. Um, then they need to like hit the books and they need to try to figure out the problem. So I guess for me, it's try to figure out the problem to the best of your ability. See if you're lacking any information. If you can't figure it out, then it's likely just too close and you can just kind of let it go. And if you can figure it out, then you learn and you grow like that. That to me is how you get out of that loop. Exactly. And I, w- I would say the same thing. I will just, you know, add terminology to it. Right. So you're basically saying that there is a certain uh, opportunity to learn that permeates on the side, right? I mean, you're saying, listen, I mean, I'm going to do what I have to do right now. And if I have to adjust it or deviate or whatever word we want to use later, I'm going to do that if new evidence presents itself. That's that's what I like to call meta-humility. But in the moment, and I think this is this is the only the only thing which I think, you know, like I will I will use different wording is that when we have to act, because we either have to go left or right or whatever the directions are. Yeah, can't at just that sit down. moment, th- that's just just hundred percent. Like you know, like when we say something, it's hundred percent. It sounds like we're the most you know confident people on the entire planet. But that's why meta humility lives, lives at a different level. We cannot act without being confident. You know, when we act, even if it's the wrong decision, you know, and I often tell that to my students, a wrong decision is better than no decision. Make a decision and stand behind it. That doesn't mean you're right, and that doesn't mean you should think you're right. But at the moment, that's a different thing. Like at the moment, it's what we decide to do. And that's where, you know, like that, you know, the, the idea of ever uh, everlasting learning that permeates uh, on the side, that's essentially meta-humility. And, well, and in, in that sense, nothing is certain. Like, you know, nothing I ever say, I, I know it to be true. Like not even the things that I spent, you know, more than 30,000 hours working on, I'm talking about math, you know, it doesn't mean I know anything, right? But I always speak with confidence because we have to talk about the moment. Right. Right. And also the person who's never wrong never learns anything as right. well like the person who right. is always right about everything go they go through their whole life they never learn anything right. because they don't need to right they have all That's the right. answers right they, they do already have all the answers exactly so we do want like you know again we, we do want something often to be a mistake so that we can improve you know like that's that's actually a very very good and and and, and subtle point um one thing that uh you mentioned earlier, and I think it was a, a very relevant and, and very good point. Uh, you're talking, you were talking about how, you know, students sometimes they have, they're sold on a certain idea and uh, they have an external factor that uh, it sort of, you know, tries to, to change their mind or at least give them some evidence to start thinking or trigger the learning process. And, um, and I wanted to talk a little bit about that because I think that's interesting to me. How do we deal with, you know, someone, whether it's in the education business or in a situation where um, there is someone who has a very solid um, conviction on something and yet they're trying to learn or they're they're trying to improve? How do you approach a a, a situation like that? And they're quantifiably incorrect? Well, you know, at 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 a meta level there's nobody ever ever correct or incorrect in my mind but we have strong evidence that, that's what i'm saying right i mean but we have strong strong evidence well to they, believe. they they believe that just right. open jamming do seven off is 
makes exactly. money, right? And exactly. They, they fundamentally like believe this, right? right. They fundamentally believe it, which by the way, this is just, just because it, it is Philosophical Friday, that could actually be true in a certain weird environment where, you know, like you're dealing with like the super needs or I, I don't know, like some some super, that's what philosophers do sometimes. They come <laughs> up with those examples that never existed or never will exist. But sure. yeah, you're absolutely correct. So something like that. Yeah, um, it depends. <laughs> so to, to tie into our conversation, it depends. Right, right. The experienced, wiser version of myself as a coach would say, if it happens routinely, then I give them a refund and cut bait. Oh, I love that. That's my. That's like what what I do with a right. student who, you know, I, I think challenging is good. I think to continue challenging something in the face of someone that you're paying who's showing you evidence to the contrary is not someone who's going to benefit from coaching and is someone who's going to make my life miserable over time at the same time. And so the best thing that I can do in that case is say, all right, you know, I think you're a great person. Um, we tried, it's just not a good fit. And I think you should, you know, look, look for a coach elsewhere. Uh, I have some coaches that, you know, maybe I, I want to torture that you can, you can go contact. Um, <laughs> every person is different, right? Yeah, so every, every coaches are different too. I think like there are different styles of coaching. There are different styles of learning. There are things that resonate with different players in different ways. Some so, more masochistic than others. So. Some more masochistic <laughs> than others. Um, the unwise version of myself wanted to try to beat them down with logical, rational thought and do what I could to change their mind, right? Like, no, you're mm -hmm. seeing it wrong. Like, I can't, how do I make you see this correctly, right? But that is just kind of a futile effort once they're, once they're dug in. And I also think that people who dig in like that um, really have to think about what they're doing and whether or not they actually actively want to learn and grow. Because mm. that is not really a, a paradigm that facilitates a lot of growth. That's right. And I think that highly depends on whether uh, that person is uh, stuck just because they've been doing something for a long time, but they're willing to change, or they're stuck because, again, they're um, very uh, stubborn about the way they're approaching life. I mean, I had, for example, I had a student who's been playing poker for, uh, for eight years before we met. And he was break even at best, right? And he was doing certain things. He was very willing to to change his ways. He was, you know, uh, resistant at, at certain things, and he was, but he was willing to actually try things that that can work. And that, and spoiler alert, it did. So it, it does matter w whether or not somebody is actually interested in changing. Yeah, um, and, and I mean, some things is okay. There, like the I guess the cases, I'm more describing are extreme examples of like, again, like everything is a challenge. Like, oh, mm -hmm. why, why should I call this bet on the river? Well, right. you've got, you know, you've got 45% equity and you need 30. And like, I can, I can show you that, <laughs> that you have 45% equity. Like, well, how, how do you know? Like that, that's sort of like, okay, like we're, this is, this is not going anywhere here. Um, right. And, and one thing I would add to this, because this is something that I've been thinking uh, quite quite a lot, and it's not just uh, poker. It extends to mathematics as well, and in general, <clears throat> in discussion and, and conversations. I think something which um, 
uh, I personally find it helpful. And I try to do that in the book, whether I succeeded or not is another story. But I don't typically like to tell people what to do, right? You know, even though like I am, you know, sounding like very firm in the things that I, that I say, I don't tell people what to do. And I think the reason for that is because um, I don't think it matters what, what you tell people. Really what it matters is what people are going to tell themselves to do, right? So one sort of like um, a workaround, we're going to tell, tell, you know, discuss an idea, but then don't tell the person what to do, is um, suggest ways of thinking about it. So for me, like poker education is not about- you just trick uh, them, Duncan. You just trick, yeah, trick them. That, that, that's what I do. There's that, there's that too. That's, that's an excellent one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Go take the psychopathic approach yeah, and trick people. No, actually, I'll, I'll, I'll discuss what I mean after, after you get done with your point. Right, right. So uh, it's it, it's a, I'm almost there. Uh, the uh, the the idea is that um, it's more about like you know the, the classic phrase, of course, is you know uh, give a man a fish versus uh, teach him how to fish. But uh, essentially, it's for me, it's not even teaching them how to fish. It's it's teaching them how what to think and what questions to ask. Really, what questions to ask, right? Because once you start asking those questions, you know you're halfway there. And then if they need help with those with those answers, we can go and approach them. But for me, it is the most important thing is asking the questions. Like you want to decide preflop charts. We we're talking about preflop charts with, uh, with with Matt last week and how um, uh, non-beneficial they can be, how detrimental it can be to someone's poker game. Okay, somebody says, give me poker charts. Okay, how are these poker charts created? That's the question. And now mm -hmm. they start thinking themselves, you know, how are you, like, why is this hand here and not there? What are you trying to achieve? And then they start realizing, oh, okay, maybe seven, eight suited is more playable than seven, three suited. So at some point, you know, some of these hands are not very playable, perhaps. Okay, so then you can ask yourself the question, do I find this hand to be playable, you know, in a certain situation? That's already better than just following a chart, right? And then you can start questions like, you know, why would you want to be, uh, which position would you want to be in and why? You know, people start asking, asking so the problem. Questions. The problem with that, that approach is people can, you know, the solver doesn't tell you why. I've right. I've tried again and again to whisper sweet nothings in the solver's ear, but it right. doesn't tell me why it does some of the things that it right. does. It, it's, it refuses. And so it's abstract information that we try to conceptualize. And the downside right. of that is conceptualizing it incorrectly or attributing a false why Correct. that leads people kind of astray downstream, which is, you know obviously bad so and that that's part, the... of, part of the problems that we talked about of the solvers right that's a big issue that mm -hmm. the solvers have right that means they don't allow people to, to do the necessary critical thinking and also pe most people don't understand what the underlying assumptions are for the solvers to give the answers sure. that they give yes, exactly. it's very important yeah um and, and i guess I'll, I'll go back to what i was saying before about tricking people <laughs> well i guess i'll have to address that um sure but basically by trick people, I mean, there's a place that you want them to arrive at and that you know is the most beneficial place for them to arrive at, and they're not seeing it. And so you prime them with questions that help move them along to the right place, right? So basically, they come to the right conclusion on their own through your assistance um, and basically believe that they came to the conclusion on their own right they, they arrive at the place where you know they need to be 
and you've kind of let them sure. believe that they found it on their own. Sure. Um, that was what I meant by by tricking sure, someone. Sure. Uh, that, that, that's that's perfectly fine and there's nothing wrong with that approach <laughs> yeah. it, it, it was framed as a uh not a good thing to do i think though no 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 that <laughs> by that, that, by that, me no 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 that, that, that that's fine uh, the 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 only except for me is that i don't think there is a right place like again we're getting back into that well, you know issue and what i mean by th there's no right place is that it is important specifically in poker there are things that work for one player that do not work for another like, you know, yeah. like dealing with losses, for example, is a perfect example of that, right? I mean, people find different heuristics and different approaches. Yeah, this is more like some tactical based, again, that I can I can quantify and show them, like, you know. But don't I mean, you think there's different styles that can be equally, equally beneficial in poker? I think that if your opponent bets and you have enough equity to call and it's quantifiable, then you should call. Like that's right. That to right. me is like cut and dry, right? But I right. need to lead them to that place, and I think there is like right and wrong, right? Where for, for sure, for sure. No, no, no. I, again, I, I'm not, I'm not getting into the the total relativism, right? Here. Yeah, but, yeah, right. But, right. But, but 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 don't don't you think that whether or not, uh, you know, this is the right call, is highly dependent on the person who is sitting at the table, and and I don't mean the opponent. I mean the actual like. Can, can you envision a situation where if you were sitting at the table, it would be a fault for you given how you're playing, but for your student, it should be a call given that they're playing differently. That's what I mean. No. You see, that's, that, 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 that's the difference because I don't think all the situations are exactly the same because, you know, uh, you versus your, your student, you may, unless you have, of course, like similar ranges and you do everything identically. Like, for example, your student might have missed a bet on the flop that you wouldn't have. Well, I thought we were presuming it, it was an identical spot where someone bets on the river, I have enough equity to call. Whether it's me, you, my cat, um, I think that you should always call. Okay, so okay, so I, I guess we're making different assumptions. Yes, under those assumptions that we know, it's clear mathematically what the ranges are, it's right. clear what our equity is. Yes, I agree. And, I, and this, okay, this, this is the point that I was trying to Because we said it was like an identical spot no, 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 with no, different no, no, people. No. Oh, uh, oh yeah, yeah, suppose, right. Right. So what I and I, I should clarify this. What I meant by identical is that it was similar bets, but you reached to that point in different ways. That's what I, I was. I was silently assuming that but, is that is not identical, Duncan. Understood. That is understood. Very understood. <laughs> understood. 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 So the path the path is not identical. I agree with you. I was like saying the snapshot yeah, yeah. or the final situation is identical. But I, it's it's good that you're doing that because by pushing back and clarifying that point, I think you're clearly illustrating here the the difference between what I'm talking about is that I'm talking about the different path. And if the path, the different path is different, the reason why the path is different actually depends highly on who's employing that strategy. Mm -hmm. And there is a certain amount of subjectivity that goes into who's employing that strategy to create potentially different outcomes. But once all those assumptions have been solved for, so we know exactly what the frequencies are in all spots, then there is a correct, a correct and wrong answer. But yeah. what I'm saying, the way to get there is very different from person to person because, and that's what matters really, because really these are the important questions. The question is, how many hands do you play from that position? How, how, what is your sizing in those situations? You know, what is the history you have with your opponent? Like, have you been, you know, and then psychological factors, which are different from player, from player to player. I do think that, that that's the, the important difference there. Yeah. And I would, in, in the situation that you just described, I, I wouldn't even prioritize the action on the river, I would prioritize all the things that you mentioned leading up to that decision, which exactly, exactly are my point. integrated into their thought process and 
how they're thinking about like from a teaching and educator perspective, right? I, I think that it, the actual decision is almost irrelevant or immaterial. Um, exactly, exactly my point. Yeah. Exactly, because at that point there is a single right or wrong answer, right? I mean, at that point when we've done all of these assumptions, but really the key in winning poker is in calibrating the assumptions correctly. That's all it comes down to. It's a game of imperfect information. So if we can actually calibrate the information correctly, then we're getting closer to being a winning player. But that information depends highly on the strategy that we're using. And, and this that, is, yeah, sorry, sorry. Um, no, 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 that's it. I'm, I, I was going to say. Uh, getting excited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I think, honestly, these are the differences between like a high-level coach and a low-level coach. And if I look at my own progression, I realize that the thing that I've gotten quite good at in coaching is getting people to ask the right questions to themselves and right. getting people to think in the correct way by asking them really solid, good questions that, that give them the space to learn and, and realize it for themselves, right? I think that's really the communication side um, of teaching. And that's the area that's most been upgraded over the past few years of doing tons and tons of private coaching is like, how do I effectively communicate this information so that it sticks and resonates with the student and actually helps them moving forward? Um, that I think like a lot of, uh, you know, lower levels or inexperienced um, coaches, I think that's the thing where they struggle. Uh, they struggle the most to do that with their students. Correct. And it's, it's actually very difficult, right? Because it's so, it's easier to tell somebody what to do. Right. It's always harder to help them think for themselves because that requires you to think and you have to think at a meta level because you have to think at a, what are the possible different ways they can think. And you have, have it. Yeah, you Sorry. have to understand it from it two perspectives, right? You have to understand it from their paradigm and your paradigm right. and try to guide them in bridging that gap. And that is quite, quite difficult because everybody's different. Everybody everybody's starts different. from a different paradigm. And so like there's this... Um, acclimation period where you're feeling a student out and asking them questions and seeing where they're coming from and how they think, and then you can plug into that and kind of lead them to where they need to go. Exactly. And, and the joke that I always joke that I always use in, in class is that I can probably guess how you play the first hand of poker you ever played. Right. And I'm the first hand of, of no limit hold them. Right. I mean, you likely called the big blind the first hand you actually played. Right. You didn't raise. Right. So that's that's the argument of sometimes, you know, professional poker players or experienced poker players. They know other players better than they know themselves in some sense, because, again, they have this data point, uh, this, this huge spectrum of data points that we can, they can extrapolate from. Well, that's right. what makes great poker players. I mean, that's that's what differentiates um you know the crushers from the average regs that that exist in the world is like the crushers know exactly what someone's thinking and understands what they're doing better than the person themselves and That's that right. allows exactly. them to operate from a higher level and find the holes in said player's strategy that they can exploit um very good, and and, and I, I, I this is uh, it's you 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 remind, you remind me it's, it's such a such a wonderful conversation it's so much fun talking to you Brad I, I just gotta let you know that it's <laughs> thank, a, <laughs> thank you Duncan it's, I, I need you to write uh, that uh, can we get that notarized and sent to uh, my wife um, uh, absolutely <laughs> timestamp <laughs> uh, I I have this idea of that that I wrote in the book I call this uh, the hypothetical strategy manual. Right, where every person, whether they know it or not, 
they have sort of like a hypothetical strategy manual that basically gives them answers to what they would do in all hypothetical situations. I mean, some of these situations haven't happened then, ha haven't happened, excuse me, yet, but, you know, they sort of like, you know, given how they're wired and what information they have, they're probably going to make a certain decision. And that decision is sort of like predetermined based on, on who they are in, in some sense. Now, not, not, not to get all deterministic about the universe or anything like that, but um, I call it the hypothetical strategy manual. And because we're talking about heuristics, I do feel that a lot of people play in that hypothetical, like that hypothetical strategy manual technically, theoretically, is you know, million pages long, if not infinitely many pages long, right? Because it has to answer the question, if my opponent is drinking and wears a red shirt and they haven't bet a hand in like, you know, you know, three hours and they check raise me, what should I do? Like, it should have the answer there because it's the answer to everything, right? However, this gigantic hypothetical strategy manual, once people start, you know, uh, merging things together ah you know what i have ace king i can't fold that hand you know i call you know or i have you know the uh, i have a pair on the river i call then it simplifies because it says if you have a pair on the river and you get bet you call so most players even though their hypothetical strategy manual is gigantic the relevant parts of uh, of that hypothetical strategy manual they're just basically narrowed down to a few things right and this is actually how you know, professionals take advantage of recreational players and how people like, you know, Daniel and the ground, you know, he says, oh, you have a set. And he sounds like he sounds like a genius, right? I mean, how did he know? Well, because they do one of, you know, 10 or 20 things which are similar to. Right. It's critical thinking and problem solving and matching past experience to the, the current moment, right? Um, so that, that will also be an example of bad heuristics, by the way, right? I mean, you know, somebody who's basically saying, I have a pair on the river, therefore I call. Right, That's right, an example, right. an exaggerated. I, I have another, I, I guess I'll close on this example of bad heuristic because I, the story just popped in my head, which I think is quite an interesting, it's, just, it's a funny story. Um, so I love I was, stories. I was playing at a home game, uh, you know, maybe 10 years ago, maybe longer than that now, geez. Um, and I kind of terrorized the home game. Uh, I think I lost like the first two sessions at this specific game. And then I won for like four months straight, um, two nights a week. Like I, I just didn't lose. Um, and I got it in on the turn with a set against a player that I had been beating up um, over time. And we got it in and he had a straight, right? He turned some weird gut shot. Um, and the board, the board paired the river, right? Nice. And, uh, you know, the dealer pushes me the pot and he kind of stands up. Like, he, I guess he, he lost his buy-in for the day and, you know, walks, walks around and like, I'm stacking the chips up, not really saying much. And I, I feel him behind me, right? He like oh grabs, God. grabs my shoulders. Right. Oh, no. um, and, and immediately I'm like tense. Right. And he, he, he just like sat there and he was like, you know what, boys, the cream always rises to the crop. And then he walked away and that was it. Like, um, and that was, uh, I, and his bad heuristic was that it was inevitable. <laughs> I was going to get his inevitable. money no matter what. Right? No matter what. Right. Exactly. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that's the, 
that, that's my funny story of a bad heuristic that is quite beneficial to me and my image and how people played against me at that period right. in time that it was inevitable that I get the money. Um, but the reality was, you know, I got it in bad, of course. And, right. Um, and, 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 and this is very relevant what you're talking about. This is the idea the value of image, especially if we're playing live. I mean, most of them are playing live. That's why a winning image has equity. Because when people start to think that they're going to lose against you because you're winning no matter what, then they're going to start making incorrect folds. So you can get extra equity out of this. And I think that's, that's relevant. And it still, by the way, factors in, uh, you know, like um, Barry Greenstein would say, you know, people usually play a lot when they're losing and very little when they're winning. It should be the opposite. You know, you should play a lot when you're winning because you have the, the image uh, equity and then less, less when you're losing. But as we established today, different people. Yeah. Different yeah. And, and also talking's hard. I, I messed up my story at the end. The cream rises to the top. To the top. I, yeah, I, no, I combined I, the cream, the cream of the crop and the cream rises to the top. I put them I, together I got it. I got uh, it. during, during the punchline. Um, no. but yeah, basically, um, I, I'm not going to correct you in English, uh, Brad, you know, like no, it's, yeah. uh, I'm making like 10 grammatical mistakes. As soon as I said it, I was like, two sentences. Mm, so, I, that, that doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem right. The cream rises to the crop. I don't know what, what we're doing here. Um, we're loving it. We're loving it. We're loving it. No, that's <laughs> but, good. It but makes, yes, makes sense. Put in hours, play when you're running well, because other people, I mean, to be honest, people just deflate, really. They assume that you know what's going on and they give you additional data points. Your confidence is high. And it can be quite devastating playing against somebody that can seemingly see through to your soul and make great decisions again and again and again and again. So yeah, hundred percent, you should be playing more when you're winning and crushing than when you're stuck and steaming. But you know, we're also human beings, and I don't think we're exactly wired to go about poker uh, in, in the right. rational way. I don't think we're, we're wired to play poker at all. Like you know, That's we true. have to go against you know all sorts of instincts, which is why I think it's, it's important to understand how like a typical human being would react in, in a game of imperfect information. And we're doing all the wrong things, you know, starting out as human beings, including, you know, yours truly, obviously, like I often tell my students, I've done every mistake imaginable in the book, right? You know, so I'm not, you know, if you want to call me a hypocrite, yes, I am. You know, I've made all of these mistakes. So I'm not trying to. Oh, my, my past is riddled with shameful decisions and behavior <laughs> exactly. and it's it's right. embarrassing um to to look back on it because yeah i have a good memory and it can be both a blessing and a curse <laughs> remembering exactly. how, how i used to be exactly um, which sort of like brings us to the last question we wanted to address right i mean at what level should players start thinking about heuristics you think at what like you know uh, skill level um i think so at the beginning of this conversation like I, i've changed I've sort of changed my mind here at the end. And I think that the first thing is to recognize that these heuristics are not set in stone mm -hmm. and that they there's room for them to be upgraded. Mm -hmm. um, and from that paradigm, I would say that you can set them early if you so choose under the assumption and the agreement that you make with yourself that they're suspect eventually. Right, because I, I do think that they are beneficial. They, it does help chunk information together and helps allows you to have the bandwidth to think about other situations. However, you should go back and revisit those and challenge them and actively challenge them. And when faced with competing information or information that says, "Oh, this is not good," change your mind, change your opinion, and use that as a mechanism to grow. So, at what level? Um, I think. 
early on if that's the paradigm. And if it's not the paradigm, then never. You should never create any heuristic for yourself ever. That's a, that's a, that's a very good point. And uh, the only thing I, I would add to that is just make sure they're your own heuristics. And, and so you can own up to your own errors, right? I mean, you have sort of like a skin in the game. You can, you can mess up on your own heuristics because if you take somebody else's heuristics, they were never Don't yours. Don't outsource to... them. That's right. You, you cannot outsource heuristics, right? Make your own mistakes so you can learn from them, right? And, and this it's... is... Yeah, this applies so directly to solvers specifically. Don't oh, yeah. out, don't outsource your heuristic to a solver and be like, "Well, but 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 Coach Brad, the solver says to do right. that. Yo, fuck your solver. I don't oh, I don't I don't take orders from your solver, buddy. Seriously, seriously, <laughs> maybe that should be the title of today's podcast. I, I I seriously think that detrimental. I think people who who cannot beat the game on their own, I don't think they should be using solvers. And the reason for that is because they're a very advanced tool and one needs to understand exactly what sort of, you know, um, um, underlying assumptions are going into it. Because if they did understand the assumptions deeply, like, you know, the, the game theoretical assumptions that go in, the idea of indifference and the things like that, uh, they, would, uh, they, they would change their mind. I think there was actually um, another funny story. Uh, there was a conversation between um, Doug Polk who, you know, I, I admire to no end. I mean, I wrote a, a, a review on his Heads Up and No Limit game. It's, it's exceptional. You know, I've been working with, uh, you know, uh, Upstream Poker for a long time. I've written articles, articles for them. Uh, huge respect. And then they had an interesting discussion with Phil Helmuth. I don't know if you, if you saw that interview. I think it was about like a, a year ago. And uh, uh, I, I, Hel- I saw it, but I didn't see it. Got it. <laughs> makes sense. Makes sense. Makes sense. I, yeah, I watched not- a, a little bit of it, but I didn't watch the whole thing, I think. Right. And, and again, Phil Helmuth, he, he's, he's very interesting to me. Like I find him, I find him interesting as, 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 a, as a human being. I don't necessarily agree with a lot of things that he does, but I think he's interesting. And then they had this conversation with, with Doug and the conversation went something like this. You know, Doug says, well, I mean, you know, are you, aren't you afraid that people who are going to be using solvers, uh, you know, they, they're going to be sitting next to you and, uh, they really, you know, sort of like don't care what you do. And then Phil Helmuth asked, you know, are they going to be sitting next to me when they actually push me? Or are they going to be sitting like behind a screen? I mean, he was being cheeky there. And, um, and actually, Doug said, actually, Doug was completely distracted at that point. He wasn't even listening. But said, well, anyway, so he said, well, of course, of course, they will be. Uh, you, you, can, you can look at them. But then Doug said, erroneously, right? He said, but they don't really care. They're indifferent to what you do. Yeah, which is great to me. (laughs) Which is which is wrong, actually, because that makes the assumption. Here's the thing. Here's why it's wrong. It's very subtle. Indifference in game theory, optimal situation assumes that your opponent cannot see your hand because the major assumption that goes into any solver is that. And again, probably like the easier way would be with, let's say, let's say that you have a bluff catcher. And the, uh, the solver tells you, you're supposed to call that river 30% of the time with your bluff catcher. That assumes that the, the solver doesn't know if the opponent bets with the nuts, with the bluff, or anything in between. That, that's a very important assumption. If you, the solver could actually see the opponent's hand, they wouldn't actually give you a 30% answer. They would give you either a zero or a 100%. So that indifference goes out the window when there's reading capabilities in a, in a live setting. This is very subtle and very important. 
I mean, it sounds like now that I'm mentioning, it sounds kind of obvious, but people are thinking to themselves, even 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 someone who's like world class at this point, right? I mean, again, he was distracted. I, I love Doug. He, he, he's he's one of the best players in the world. But like even someone at his level, he can make the mistake and use the word indifference when it doesn't apply. So you have to be very careful. The moment somebody can can hand read in any way, can sort of like see your hand or approximate your hand, then all of that indifference GTO goes out of the window. You gotta be gotta be very careful when yeah. you're making. I would also say too that that that's a really good point that you know hand reading and data points affect the output dramatically. Um, yes. and also to to indifference, and then I guess I guess we can close. Indifference is not very exciting to me. <laughs> okay. I don't I don't know. Okay. Like, I mean, no, no, just like if what you're doing means that you're indifferent to what I do, then it doesn't matter what I do. Why do I need why do I even need to look at the solver at all to figure out what I'm supposed to do? Because you you're just indifferent to any action that I take, right? Right. So so what 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 happens there, like I, I can only, you know, like address this mathematically, but what happens there, it's sort of like you're finding a, 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 I don't want to use the word optimal, but you find like the best sort of like response that makes you indifferent to what your opponent is doing, right? So you still have to do a lot of work. You cannot just like, you cannot do anything and be indifferent. You have to choose the right move so that your opponent is indifferent, right? And usually this comes in some sort of like a percentage breakdown. So you have to bet that river like let's say 70% of the time. Right, right, right. That uh, will make uh, your opponent, yeah. My point is like, I would rather do something that makes them make a big mistake. I agree with be, you 100%. Be, be indifferent, right? Like that's- I, I you 100%, exactly. Um, exactly. Why not take advantage of the, because again, uh, there uh, you, you may be indifferent, but why do you need to be indifferent, right? I mean, your opponent may have a tendency to overcall or overfold. Why not take advantage of that? I would agree with And that. you should, because we're playing poker here against human beings. And from- all of what I've learned, it's that human beings do not play like Pio um, in pretty much any situation that I've ever found uh, just in, in all my data research, which is, is but, quite, quite important. Um, that's right. I will take out the should because I'm picky and this is Philosophical Friday, but I totally agree with you 100%. Do whatever you want, you know, it's like, but I agree with you 100%. Yeah. All right, man. Um, any, anything left to add in this discussion on, on heuristics? No, I, I just want to say I, I, I really loved the, the discussion today. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun talking to you. Like you brought some very excellent points and it's uh, really interesting to, uh, I, I like ha having, uh, you know, my ideas in general challenged in specifically some of these heuristics because that, you know, gives me sort of like, I want to try different things. I always try different things. And I'm going to try some different things. Oh, I mean, I, I have, yeah, I think there's a quote uh, okay, I don't know who quoted it, but basically it was like, it was like in, in, in your 20s, it's super exciting to sure. gather knowledge and learn. Like learning mm -hmm. is super exciting and you're pumped. I think it was probably Tim Urban um, okay. at, at Wait But Why. But, and, and then in your 30s, you, you discover the beauty of unlearning things. And that's, <laughs> that, that's also its own excitement thing where like, oh, wow, I get to unlearn these things that like I thought were true. Right. And, uh, you know, that... 1000% applies to my life and my belief system. I'm, as I mentioned before, a thousand percent different. I've changed all foundational beliefs about life and experience. Um, I've changed all of them pretty much from when I was like an, an 18 year old. Um, so 
anyway, uh, there is this beauty in unlearning things and growth. Do you know who was master at this? Like unlearning things? And Ooh. he's actually celebrating Pablo Picasso. Mm. He, he was actually, he would do the, like the same drawing and every time he would start removing things. It's like, oh no, I don't need this. Like he would do like the same painting like a thousand times to re remove stuff. Right. Or so I've been told, because I mean, I, I'm not an artist, so I don't understand, but he apparently he was really good at that. Right, right. And, and so we can close with this Pablo Picasso quote that I think I've uh, quoted like 1700 times on, on the podcast so far. Um, awesome. But uh yeah, basically le learn the rules like a pro so you can break them like an artist. Um, so learn the rules so that so that you can break them. Um, Beautiful. Well said. With that, with that said, well, it was Picasso, allegedly. Who knows? It could have been somebody else. We <laughs> is lost in the annals of history. It doesn't matter. It's yours now at this point. It, it, it doesn't matter. You know, like, you know, Suck it, on it, that, Picasso. <laughs> Take that, buddy. <laughs> All right, man. Uh, yeah, great stuff. And we will see you next week. Absolutely. Always a pleasure, Brad. Take care. Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com to get the newsletter. Join the Greatness Village community, book a coaching session, or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast. Podcast.